Through it all, it is well. I, I hope that's the, the testimony of your, your heart today. That's the, the place of your spirit. That through it all, it is well. There's peace and hope. There's joy. There's love. This last Thursday night, I had the, the privilege to go to Havenbrook Funeral Home and to, to share in their memorial service they do every year to, to just continue to walk with families as they grieve the loss of a loved one. And this is the theme, this is the, the focus of what we shared is, is that in Christ, we can know that even through the difficulties, through the, the, the storms and the tragedies and the hardships of life, that we can profess that it is well with my soul. I, I hope that that's where you are. And I hope that over these next days and weeks that you will be preparing for the experience of peace that can only be found through the Christ child. I love this beautiful passage, prophecy out of Isaiah chapter 11 that we just read. It reminds me of a time that Gay and I spent just a few years ago in Africa. We had a chance to go to Tanzania with Reaching Souls International and to do some pastor and pastor wife training. And through that experience, we were visiting one evening or afternoon with a Maasai pastor. Now, some of you may have heard of Maasai warriors. This was a Maasai pastor. And he was sharing about his experience really a, a whole world away in still a very, in parts, nomadic culture, very much living out in the, in the bush of Africa and some of the stories that they would have to share. And he said one of the things in their culture is that in order to become a man or, or this, this warrior, this leader, was you had to kill a lion. I thought, wow. I said, have you killed a lion? <laughs> He said, well, I have. I said, well, you got to tell me about that. He said, well, he said, you do it after they eat. <laughs> and, and one of their challenges is, is they raise, they still raise their, their livestock. And their livestock are very vulnerable to the predators, especially to lions. And, and if a, a lion figures out that there's easy prey, then that, that creates a problem for the Messiah in their village. And so they have to eradicate that that problem but he said he said oh you don't go out looking for the lion he said you sneak up on them when they're asleep I thought that sounds like a pretty good strategy doesn't it but it reminds me of this picture because I think what Isaiah is doing in Isaiah chapter 11 is he's giving us a picture a glimpse not just of, of where we've been, as you would reflect over the creation story and, and in the Garden of Eden and these beautiful passages that, that, that speak of, of peace and of, of unity of creation. And what Isaiah is doing is he's, he's causing us to, to reflect back, but he's also anticipating and he's saying, oh, but, but there's a day coming when we will experience this same kind of peace, a peace where the wolf will dwell with the lamb, where the leopard will lie down with the young goat, where the calf and the young lion and the fatling will lay down and rest together. A sense of, of peace, of, of shalom, of of the sense of where everything is well, physically, emotionally, relationally, 
And there is a sense of peace and unity and harmony. What a glorious and beautiful picture. Because the truth is, is we would we begin to try to spiritualize and understand this and, and bring that experience into our world. We would say there, there are predators all around us. In our families, in, in, our, in our, our places of work where it's just aggressive and, and it's dog eat dog. And, and where is the peace? Where is the harmony? So for some of us, our, our bodies are fighting disease and cancers. And, and where is the peace? And where is the sense of shalom and well-being in that? And know oh, that we would hear and listen to the words of the Scriptures that in the Christ child comes the Prince of Peace. And that peace is, just as it was in the past, is once again possible as we anticipate the coming of our Lord. But as we look at the story of John the Baptist in Matthew 3 today, what we discover is that, that peace doesn't just happen and, and doesn't just come. That, that hope doesn't just happen and it just doesn't show up one day on our, our doorstep, but rather... We are to prepare the way. We are to prepare our lives to receive these gifts. So in Matthew 3, we see the story of John the Baptist. John was the cousin of Jesus. We read a little bit more about his story in a little more depth in, in, in the Gospel of Luke. But what we, what we know from that story is that, that John was born of Elizabeth and Zechariah. And, and they were of a priestly tradition and family. So I'm sure that, that John the Baptist understood and that he, he grew up reading and studying about the prophets. And he was probably very aware of Isaiah. And I suspect at some point along the way that John began to realize and understand that he was being prepared to prepare the way for someone else, someone greater than him. And in fact, it's Jesus that reflects back on the life of John the Baptist and says that, that John was, was actually the coming, the fulfillment of the return of Elijah. For you see, the children of, of, of Israel had gone four centuries, almost 400 years, before they had heard from a prophet of the Lord. And yet here we are in Matthew 3, with John the Baptist having found his way into the wilderness, and in the wilderness of Judea begins to preach and to proclaim that the kingdom of heaven is near. The kingdom of heaven is coming and that we are to begin to prepare ourselves for the coming of the kingdom. In fact, in Matthew 3, here's what John says. That we are to make his paths straight. That this king is coming, this Messiah, this Christ is coming. And that it's up to us to make his paths straight. You see, in ancient days, heralds, messengers would go out before the king. And they would go out before the places that he was to arrive and the heralds would begin to announce that the king was coming. And this would allow the, those in the villages and, and those along the way to begin to prepare so that they could receive the king appropriately. And there were even those opportunities in those times where the heralds would go out to announce the coming of the king and they would literally have to clear the pathway. They would have to, to clear the road, so to speak, Maybe even along the way they'd have to create and build a road or, or a bridge 
to prepare the way so that the king could come straightway. And John, in understanding that the Messiah is coming, the Christ child is coming, called the people of Israel to make way, make his paths straight. Now, John is quoting from Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3. And some of your translations may put it this way, that we are to build a highway in the desert for God. Isn't it interesting that John came to announce the coming of the Messiah in the wilderness? And that it's in the wilderness that we're to begin to prepare the way for a new kingdom. And I would ask and suggest to all of us that it's in the wilderness where God begins to form and shape us as well. It's in the wilderness of our lives that God begins to mold us and cause us to be sensitive to the coming of the Lord, to to the things that God wants to do in our lives. Do you find yourself in the wilderness often? In the desert? It seems too hot and maybe too lonely and and things aren't going the way that you had had thought they would, where the, the paths aren't as straight and decisive as you would hope. And yet it's in the wilderness that we're called to build a highway and to make our paths straight. Why? So that the Messiah, the Lord, can come to us. So John comes proclaiming in the wilderness that that the king is coming, the kingdom of God is at hand, the the kingdom of heaven, and that we're to begin to prepare the way for him. So how is it specifically that we're to prepare for the coming of Messiah? Very interesting. John calls us in verse 2 to prepare the way by repenting. Repent. Repent. For the kingdom of God is at hand. This is what John is calling the people of of God to do. The Messiah is coming. We need to make make our way for him to come and see us. And the way that we do that is by beginning a life of repentance. Well, what, what does repentance exactly mean? Repentance is the turning away from something. Specifically, in our context, it's a turning away from sin. It's turning away from an old way of life. And it's turning towards something else. It's turning towards a new or different way of life. By definition, repentance means that you can't pursue these two ways simultaneously. You're either going one way or you're going the other. James, I think, picks up on this. In, in, uh, in his letter, when he talks about being double-minded. And he says, those that are double-minded, they can't make up their mind, are those that are, are tossed to and fro, like, like a, a boat in a, in a storm. And so how many of us find ourselves seeking repentance, but really not being able to turn and go the other way, and we find ourselves tossed to and fro, from this way to that way. And what John is saying, people of God, it's time to repent. It's time to to turn away from this other way of life, this way of sin, and to turn towards a new way, a kingdom of heaven way of life. In regards to sin, repentance is not simply feeling sorry for getting caught. 
Now, we are a people that really know how to do this. We, when we get caught doing something that we, we know is, we're not supposed to, when we get caught in the midst of sin, we feel really, really bad, don't we? We, we may not re- feel really, really bad that we, we sin. We just feel really bad we got caught. And that's not what repentance is. Repentance is turning away from it. Repentance is a, is a giving up of this former way, this way of sin, and then turning our lives completely and totally towards the way of God. Repentance is the discipline of rebuilding your life around God's way. David Garland writes, The repentance is a change in one's inward attitude that results in a change in one's outward actions. Again, repentance is changing, moving from one direction to turn to go another way. And John the Baptist is proclaiming that it's time to repent. It's time to quit walking in the way against God and away from God to turn and to walk towards God. John the Baptist's message is urgent because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It is time now to build a highway in the desert for the king is coming. And the highway in which we're to receive the coming of the Lord is the highway of repentance. Now we all know in Norman, right? That when it comes to building highways, that, that's a process. You have to commit yourself to, right? We'll be so glad when, they, when, right, when we finish. Cleaning the highways up in Norman. Finishing the construction in Norman. Why? Because it, it takes a commitment. And it can be messy. And it, 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 it creates roadblocks. And it creates detours. But you've got to commit to building the highway. And making your paths straight. And this is what John is saying. The work of repentance can be difficult and challenging, but it's the work that we must commit to as we begin to receive and wait for the coming of the Messiah. Here in Matthew chapter 3, we're we're talking about John the the Baptist, but if you look in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus comes and he's beginning his ministry. And look and see what the first thing that Jesus says when he begins his ministry. Repent. For the kingdom of God is at hand. Turn from a former way of life to a new way of life. And then what's the the first thing, the exact next thing that Matthew wants us to know that Jesus proclaimed? He said, repent, turn from your former way. And what does he say? Come and follow me. Here's a new way of life. Here's a new way of living. And here's a new way of relating to God and to others. But first you have to repent from your old way and you have to turn and follow me and come after me. Turn from the way in which you've been living and turn towards me as the new way of living. To follow Christ is the fruit of our repentance. John the Baptist says that we are to Prepare the way by not just repenting, but by bearing fruit in keeping with repentance. Now it's interesting, John has gone out to the desert. He's gone out towards the Jordan River, towards the Dead Sea, and it is a dry, and it's a barren, and it's an isolated place. 
And word gets out in Jerusalem, especially around the, the religious leaders, that there's a, a, a guy who proclaims to be a prophet, and he's preaching that the kingdom of God is, is close. And sure enough, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the religious leaders begin to kind of make their way towards John. And isn't it great? John's first question was, who told you guys that we were out here? Who invited you, you brood of vipers? Now, there's a real welcoming way to encourage guys that are coming out curious. But you see, John knew their heart. And he said, you brood of vipers, what are you doing here? And, and you can just hear him say, well, we came out to hear your message. And, and we came out to repent as well and to be baptized. And John said, well, if that's true, if that's authentic, then bear fruit. Then live your life in a way that reflects authentic and genuine repentance. And he says, don't think that just by coming out here and letting me get you wet, that that's true repentance. And don't think that just because you can trace your family line back to Abraham, that doesn't make you a part of the kingdom of heaven. John is saying, we've got to get beyond all this outward religion and ritual. And the way that we do that is by focusing on repentance that bears fruit. As you turn away from one sin, as you turn away from one way of life, then there should be a fruit that begins to be manifested and harvested as you embrace the kingdom of heaven. In Luke's gospel, as, as Luke tells this same story, you get a little bit more of the narrative and the conversation that takes place between John the Baptist and those who've come to hear him. And so they're, they're enthralled and they're captured by John's message and, and they, they, they're coming and they're repenting and they're, they're being baptized. And baptism is that symbol that John chose. It's a symbol that was very familiar in Judaism and, and certainly as Christians we've embraced baptism but John is, is saying, many are responding and are being baptized. And as he's talking about this life of repentance, finally the, the crowd begins to, to reply back, well, John, what does it mean to bear fruit in keeping with repentance? What does it, what does it look like to repent? And what does it look like to bear fruit? And, and John kind of steps back and, well, that's a good question. He says, here, if you have two tunics, if you have two, two coats, Give one away. If you have food and someone's hungry, give them something to eat. See, it's a, it's a different way. It's a different mindset of life. How would he say that to us? I think he might say the same thing. You know, it's, it's turning winter, folks. If you have two coats, give one away. There are lots of people in our community that don't have coats. And they're cold. And I dare to say that probably most of us have more than two coats. I think John would come and say, hey folks, start giving your coats away to people that are cold. I think he'd also say, and start sharing some of your food with, with folks that are hungry. We have a lot of folks, a lot of children that are hungry in our community. 
Now, as a church, we do some wonderful things. In fact, this afternoon, we're hosting a, a, what we call Sunday Supper, and, and we'll have folks from our community that, that will come in and enjoy a, a hot meal and fellowship around the table. And then this afternoon, on the first Sunday, our, our closed closet is open, and we'll have folks that will get coats and, and other clothing that they need, for, especially as the winter has, has come upon us. And it's a beautiful way that we live this out. But how much more as individuals can we contribute and live that out as we share lives with those in our community, with those in our children's schools? John says, you know, repentance, a new way of life, especially in a culture of consumerism and materialism, is sharing and giving with those who have need. But then it's interesting, in that same story in Luke, the, the tax collectors come up and say, well, well, John, how can we be a part of this? And John says to the tax collectors, well, don't collect any more than you're ordered to. Don't manipulate the system. Don't tell someone they owe you X amount when they really owe the government this amount. Be honest in your business dealings. To the soldiers, they, they, they're listening and they're saying, well, we want to repent, John. Help, help us to understand what does it mean to repent? And John says, well, don't be bullies. Don't use your power and your authority to manipulate and to, to bully others. Don't take money by force. Don't accuse people falsely so that you can arrest them and then take their stuff. But be content with your wages. Be content with your work. And do it honorably. And so John is helping us to begin to wrestle with what does it mean to bear fruit in keeping with repentance? What would your repentance look like? What would the fruit of your repentance look like? Maybe sharing some of the abundance of your life. Maybe turning from some of those habits and, 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 and sinful activities that have burdened you down and you just can't have victory for. Maybe repenting and turning and embracing a new way of life could help you be able to do that. We're called to repent and to follow after Christ. Repentance is costly. Repentance costs each of us. So what will the fruit of your repentance look like in this world? John continues in, in talking to the crowd in verse 11. He says that I baptize you with water. And certainly G, uh, John picked up on this Jewish tradition of, of, of water baptism as that which would cleanse you. There in the, in the Judean wilderness, they would have been near the Qumran communities and, and other communities where they practiced ritual cleansing. And, and that was part of their daily routine. Two or three times a day, they would, would, would walk through waters to, to demonstrate a, a cleansing component and element to their life. And John picks up on this. And, and so he uses water baptism as a way to symbolize repentance and as a way to symbolize the cleansing that comes from repentance. To show publicly what God is doing within you. But notice what John said. He said that as they were being baptized, they were confessing their sin. When we confess our sin, we're simply agreeing with God that what we, we do is sin. That what we do is missing the mark. And so as they were being baptized, they were confessing their sin. They were saying, I've been going this wrong way and now as a 
I'm baptized, I commit myself to turning and bearing fruit of repentance. But John said that there's one coming who baptizes not just with water, but Jesus comes and he, he baptizes with the Holy Spirit and he baptizes with fire. Now, now the word baptism means to, to put yourself under, to put yourself under someone's authority or power. And so, as John talks about baptism of the Spirit of God, that's a beautiful picture of, of what it means to put ourselves underneath the authority of the Holy Spirit in our lives and of His indwelling presence. John speaks of the baptism of, of Jesus as a baptism of fire, of purifying and refining us as we submit to the work of the Spirit of God in our lives. But I think John picks up on an important thing on this idea of baptism is that we need to come and, and repent and we can let baptism be one way we, we show the world that we're repenting and turning from our ways. But ultimately, it's the Spirit of God that comes and transforms and baptizes us in His Spirit that leads to transformation. The prophet Ezekiel puts it this way. In chapter 18, the prophet says, we're to repent we're to turn from our sin. We're to make for ourselves a new heart and a new spirit. You're to make for yourself a new heart and a new spirit. I'm to make for myself a new heart and a new spirit through repentance and confession. But then Ezekiel in chapter 36 comes around to say, but the Lord says, I, it's the Lord who will make us a clean heart and a new spirit. It's the Lord who brings us a new heart. So we're called to do our part and to repent and to confess. And in that process of preparing the way, the Spirit of God then comes and brings that new heart and that new spirit and transforms us into the likeness of Christ. So this Christmas season, as we prepare the way for peace, let us understand that we prepare the way for peace through repentance. So how are you preparing for the birth of Christ? What are those areas in your life that, that need to be turned from? Where are those areas of life that you need to turn towards? And giving and sharing and sacrificing and giving up a way of life that focuses on bullying and victimizing and oppressing others. You see, as we do our part, as we confess, as we repent, then God comes and does His part. So let us prepare the way of the Lord. And in so doing, let us prepare the way for peace. The time when the wolf will dwell with the lamb and the leopard will lie down with the young goat and the calf and the young lion and the fatling will be together, and a little boy will lead them. Let's pray.